Hello, hello. Glad you guys are enjoying community time. We're actually talking about community tonight, so we can exhibit it and talk about it in one night. It's great. Um, salad versus ice cream. I didn't, that's the first I heard about this announcement. That, to me, feels like Ryan the pacifist fighting Thor or something. It's like, is there really any contest there? It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, you guys can pray for me tonight while I'm speaking. I, um, I missed a couple of weeks here at church because I was on planes to Vancouver and then London, and so lots of time on airplanes is not good for the sinuses. So I'm, uh, I'm battling some stuff, and I've, I think I took like 18 pills this morning of different kinds, and they're counteracting it, so I don't... You all just look like a giant fuzzball to me right now, so uh, I should be okay. But pray for me uh, that I can, I can stay clear and that the Lord will speak through me despite uh, the haze and the fog of that time. Um, my name's Paul Alexander. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at City Beautiful Church. I'm excited to get to speak with you guys tonight. Um, I'm going to start just by telling you that my wife and I, I've been a part of church uh, since I was small. I remember actually uh, basically growing up in church, being in uh, the, my earliest memories I was in church. And it, when my wife and I got married, we're actually full-time missionaries. And so, of course, we were part of a church. And there was a point in our marriage uh, when the girls were little where we were going through some really hard stuff. There was like really hard things going on. And we kind of looked around and suddenly realized that there wasn't anybody around us in, a, in the church who knew what was actually going on. They didn't actually know some of the circumstances and some of what was actually happening inside of each of us and what we were walking through. And it became clear that we were part of a church. We attended a, a service. We were part of a small group where we talked about issues like money and issues like dating and relationships and parenting and all these things, but we weren't actually part of a community. And that was terrifying to us at one point because we were like, wow, we've been doing this church thing for a really long time, and we actually don't have a really good idea, this is falling apart, um, of what community looks like and how to live in it. And so we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to talk about what does community look like, and we're going to actually ask questions like, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit falls upon community and manifests itself in that way. What does that actually look like practically? Um, I want to start with Acts chapter 2. We're just going to look at verse 42. We're going to come back and look at the broader part of this passage. But in Acts 2, they use a word that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, And if you are following along on your phone, you want to look at the actual version. I'm going to be using the ESV version if you want to look at that on your phone. Um, But Acts chapter 2, 42 is, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Sounds a lot like a salad versus ice cream to me. You know, they're breaking bread together, they're breaking ice cream together. Um, but, but you can see it set up early, and we're gonna look at the broader context of this passage, but what does it look like, the idea of devoting ourselves, Stacy told me I should tape this thing, um, devoting ourselves to, to teaching fellowship and breaking bread into prayers, what does that look like? Um, and so our kind of thesis for tonight, the thing we're going to look at is the concept. We've been in this series called Loving Community. We're going to talk about the idea of loving community is built on devotion. That devotion to one another is the actual, look at that, some tape. This is like a magical platform. If you say something, it just suddenly appears. Ice cream. Um, better, right? Um, 
So we're going to look at this. First thing you got to do when you hear the word devotion is we need to define devotion. Like anytime, I'm, I'm a very practical person, so like anytime we're going to talk, I keep looking all the way across because I think OJ's making faces at me behind my back. Um, anytime you look at something, you want to define it, right? And so I looked it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and the definition of devotion, you guys looked up things in dictionaries before, so you know there's like always a primary and then like a secondary definition and maybe even on down. Uh, the first definition in Merriam-Webster's dictionary said this, love loyalty or enthusiasm for a person or activity. Sounds like a pretty good working definition of devotion. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or activity. The second one actually made sense when I read it, but it wasn't what I was thinking. And the two of them together really brought this into full picture. Because the second definition of devotion, this isn't in the Bible, this is actually in Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, very biblical concept, religious worship or observant, observance. So the first one is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person activity or activity. And the second definition is religious worship or observance. Isn't it interesting that the same word that we use to describe devotion, loyalty to each other, is the same word that when we talk about worship, we talk about actually giving uh, worship and adoration to God himself. And so there's this link between these two uh, ideas that are both related to devotion. Interestingly enough, if Google has these really powerful tools, and so I was doing research for this. I'd like to research lots of different aspects of it. And over the last 150 years, if you look at the use of the word devotion, it's actually, if you looked at the Google graph, they can, you can chart the usage. It's actually dropped dramatically over the last 150 years. I mean, just a massive drop. And so I, I think we've really lost the concept of what the word devotion actually means, especially in the context of community. I know, uh, I know it's something I learned a lot from just studying here. What's the opposite of devotion? You might think, well, the opposite of devotion is just not being devoted to someone or just not caring, but I actually would contend the opposite of devotion is conditional loyalty. Think about that for a second. Wouldn't you rather someone, you just look at someone, you're like, you know what? I know that person doesn't care about me. They're not interested in me. They're distant from me. That's not the opposite of devotion. The opposite of devotion is I actually think that person cares about me. I think they're engaged in my life but there comes a point where things get really hard and they walk away. That's the, that's the worst, to me, that's the opposite of devotion. That's the worst case scenario. And so we're gonna look at what it means to be walking with one another in devotion. Um, so we, the object of our devotion really is something we have to look at. What's the relational priorities of the church? Is it okay for us to step into community just expecting to find friends? And I think it's important to note that there's a lot of communities that we're a part of. I play basketball in the mornings with a group of guys. Uh, we play three days a week. I would consider them to be community to me. They're really great. Um, there's maybe people you work with that you go out and have drinks with afterwards or you hang out with at the coffee bar. That's a community that you're a part of. But I think when we talk about the community of believers that, that we are with in the context of church, there's a little bit of a different standard. And I would say that we must allow worship and the centrality of Jesus to be our primary reason for engaging in community. Again, we're talking about the context of the body of believers, not talking about um, any other community you might step into. But when I look at this community, if worship and the centrality of Jesus is our primary reason for engaging in community, then we've got a really good foundation that we've laid together. Um, what I wanna do now is I wanna stop for a second and we're going we're gonna to have three moments where we stop. We're going to do different things with each of those three. What I want you to do in this moment is I want you to turn to some people around you, and I want you to ask one another the question, 
what are some reasons that you have for being engaged in community? You might be talking about um, community that you're a part of. Uh, Jackson's part of a music community that he walks in and does things. Uh, it might be, you might be talking about the church community. Maybe there's a creative community that Garrett's a part of that's outside of this, this body. And so turn to each other and talk about the different kinds of community that you're involved in and what are your reasons and your purposes? Why do you engage in that community? What's your purpose for that? So do that, talk to each other for a second, and then I'll bring us back together. All right. Hopefully you got a little small snippet. You made it get to cover everything, but hopefully you got a small snippet of, uh, of what the people around you, when you're, when you're, the people you're sitting around and you're thinking about community and why you're each engaging in the concept of community, hopefully that began to fill out that picture a little bit fuller for you in your mind. Um, we want to explore some aspects of devotion uh, now uh, that I think will help, again, kind of let us look at different parts of the prism uh, if you think about that concept of a prism where you look and you see different angles of it. And so we're going to look at a couple of aspects of devotion just like that. First of all, it's a char- devotion is a character quality within ourselves. It's not a judgment against other people. And so often I think we can use devotion as um, something that we point a finger at someone else, talking about their devotion and what should be expected of them, when in reality it's a character quality within ourselves, not a judgment against other people. Um, at my grandmother's church, when I was growing up, I would visit her church. They lived in a small town in, in Oklahoma. I think the whole town was 1,800 people. Um, and so the church was really small. And I can remember um, in this small town, in this small church, we'd be standing there, and I was just a kid, and I can remember someone, people saying to me things like this. There's no secrets in this church. Everybody knows everybody's business. Ew. Somebody had a reaction to that. I did too right? Um, Maybe you've even been a part of this. I know I've done it. I've said, hey, Peyton, I'm going to share this with you for the purpose of us to pray for that person. Like, that's a character issue within myself, right? That true devotion allows other people to be on their own journey. It doesn't have to look like mine. And the only time you really have permission to, to talk about someone else is really to them when the Holy Spirit prompts you to step into a loving moment with them that's full of grace and truth. And we're gonna talk in a little bit about, you know, kind of different kinds of relationships we have within community. And I would say, by and large, um, it's not a situation where you don't really know someone that well, but you feel like, I really gotta go talk to that person about something that I see from afar. I mean, maybe the Holy Spirit would lead you to do that. But in general, I think we far too much feel permission to try to get someone else on our agenda or on our journey. And devotion, I would tell you, is more about learning how to exercise grace with people and not try to force their journey to look like mine. Again, there's a time to speak truth to people. I'm not saying that that's not the case, but when, we're, when I was studying devotion, when I was looking at it, I was really convicted in my own life that more and more as I, as I grow in my walk with the Lord, the more I see that it takes far more presence with the Holy Spirit to be okay with someone's journey being different than mine than it does for me to actually go and try to align them to my journey. Does that make sense? Um, and that's, that's, that's a character quality that I think God builds within, within us over time. Kay and Ryan talked a couple of weeks ago about the concept and the difference between unity over uniformity. 
Our job as the church, as a loving community, is not to try to make everyone the same, but it's actually to achieve unity in the midst of a massive amount of diversity. Diversity of race, gender, thought, diversity of journey, right? And that's where, where I think the real unity comes. And when the world can look outside, from the outside, and look at a loving community that's very diverse in their journeys and their approaches and even in their theology in many respects and sees great unity, that's evidence of Christ working in that community. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the concept of love as a part of devotion now. Christ leads us into deeper levels of devoted love. So love in scripture actually um, talks about different kinds of, of love. Um, and there's actually a deepening that happens in the context of devotion, in the context of a loving community. And we're going to look at those three different kinds of love. The first one is eros. Um, you can probably tell from the word if you're thinking, what does that kind of love look like? Um, it's actually a fairly um, self-centered love. It's not necessarily bad in and of itself. But eros is not, we're going to spend a lot of time on that because it's, you probably have a pretty good idea in your mind about what that looks like. Um, but the second kind of love that we're going to spend more time on is uh, phileo. And this was a great um, concept for me. It appears in scripture quite a bit. It's actually, um, I would say, a deeper love than eros because it, it introduces the concept of our happiness instead of my happiness. Eros is about my happiness. It's about the kind of love that I feel for someone else because of how they make me feel. And there's nothing, again, there's a, there's a positive side to that. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. But you don't want to stop there, right? You want to actually also begin to explore and grow in the concept of phileo love, which is our happiness over my happiness. Let's look at a couple of passages of scripture where this is brought up. In Romans 12.10, uh, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. And that concept of love is the Greek word phileo right there. Love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. You begin to see how that type of love becomes others-focused. There's a we, we're brothers, right? And we're trying to actually show honor to one another. We're trying to create a culture of honor in this loving community. Um, the second passage is 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So again, you begin to see that concept of our there, okay, unity of mind. So it's talking about a loving community where there's, where there's unity, there's sympathy for one another. I can actually identify with your struggles and I can feel for you. And so again, you see the introduction of the concept of how this kind of love is that there's a great interdependence between the two. And then if you go a step deeper into the concept of love, in the context of a loving community, we're gonna introduce the concept of agape love. Some of you probably heard this before, but this agape love actually goes even a level deeper. And that is, it's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but it actually originates in God, its own God-given nature. So this kind of love actually goes even deeper because it actually is irrelevant what you've done. It doesn't matter what has happened between us but my love can still exist in the midst of that context. Um, and Jesus, nobody exhibited this better than Jesus, right? He went to the cross for us and died for us in spite of anything we had done. That's the, that's the ultimate kind of sacrificial love. Um, 
a couple of passages we can look at. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then in John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Notice in both those passages how Christ is talking about the kind of love that he exhibited while he was here on earth and actually calls us to have that same kind of love. So when we talk about Christ's love being sacrificial, loving us in spite of us when we didn't deserve it, this is the same kind of love that he calls the church to. And in another place, it actually says, greater love has no man than this, than he lay himself, his life down for his friends. This is the deepest kind of love that we can have for each other. Um, defining relationships uh, and, and understanding those levels of love actually helps us. And I'll explain that a little bit. How many of you guys have been to Orion's Enneagram class or have, have explore, haven't even explored the Enneagram somewhat? Right, so a few. So Enneagram is this... Uh, fairly new on the scene. It's grown in, it's not new in terms of uh, existence, but in terms of growing in popularity. If you haven't explored it at all, I would encourage you to uh, touch base with Ryan and find out how you can get plugged into some of the stuff we're doing with Enneagram. It's really fun. It talks about our personalities, right? And so I'm an Enneagram three. Enneagram threes are achievers. They, uh, they like to go for the win. They, every day we wake up and the slate is clean and I have to accomplish something that day to be worth something. That's, the, that's one of the bad sides of Enneagram. I'm going to reveal a few bad sides of Enneagram 3s, by the way, um, today. Um, the other thing about Enneagram 3s is in our very nature, apart from Christ doing work in our life, my natural mode is to keep my image up for you. It's not about me being vulnerable and revealing myself to you, but it's actually about the image that I think Garrett wants. What does Garrett expect of me, and how do I keep that image up so that he sees this image of Paul that I think he wants to see. And so <laughs> Ryan was telling me, I don't know where you heard this, but there was some someone author or someone talking about Enneagram 3s, and they said their worst nightmare is if their different pockets of friend all show up at the, friends all show up at the same party, because then they don't know who to be. They're like, oh my gosh, they're like in a panic, right? Um, and so um, what, what, when you pair this concept of the different kinds of love and being freed up to love in that way, there's a great freedom that begins to exist. But the next, the next place that we begin to um, feel uh, a release and a freedom in our relationships is when we define our relationships to create healthy expectations. There's absolutely nothing wrong. We talk about the concept of devotion. There's nothing wrong with defining your relationships. Jesus had three, he had 12, he had 70, he had the masses. So if you're not super familiar with scripture, you see places where Jesus is out and he's talking to the masses. There's times when he actually welcomed the masses when, when others would say, wait, Jesus, you need to step away. But he knew I've got the time and space and energy and I wanna engage in the masses. That's very healthy. And Jesus engaged with the masses. There was times when he actually brought together and engaged with 70. He had a group of 70 from amongst the masses that he identified as people that could journey together and be a part of the group that he sent out. And he actually engaged with that smaller group in context of 70. Uh, and then there was 12, the 12 disciples that you're probably most familiar with. And those 12 are people that they walked together, they spent time together on a daily basis. They were really engaged together, right? So those 12. Uh, 
But then amongst the 12, there was three. And you'll see that he took Peter, James, and John off at times up on a mountain. Or he took them deeper into the garden or whatever the case may be. And there was times when Jesus knew he needed solitude. But there's times when he knew that, that what was called for right then was this close-knit group of three or four. Ryan talked about this summer, starting a summer of discipleship. We're going to be looking at groups of like four. Um, and this is, Jesus exhibited the same quality in his relationships. Um, Cole mentioned this uh, when he talked about giving and receiving, the concept of how we can measure healthy relationships, that some relationships you're in, you feel like you're giving a little bit more in that relationship. Some, hopefully, you feel like you're receiving a little bit more, maybe like a mentor-type relationship, and you feel like you're receiving in that relationship. And that's good. Uh, but what's dependent is our ministry of presence. Be willing to be present in each of those relationships. Now, um, this isn't about fear or self-preservation, right? So what I'm not saying is to create, uh, you're not doing this out of the concept of I'm trying to keep all these people at a distance because I don't, I don't want them. This is actually about giving ourselves clear expectations so that we can love well. It is impossible for me, even as much as I want to as Enneagram 3, for all of you to think that I love you and know you exactly the same. It's just not possible from a time standpoint. Now, don't get weird with this, right? Like, don't walk around tonight after the service and say, you're one of my three, you're one of my 12, you're one of my 70. But I hope, <laughs> I hope you can actually articulate that for yourself to some degree. It doesn't have to be perfect either. That's why don't get weird with it, right? It doesn't have to be exactly three, exactly 12. But I think there is some importance to you knowing in your own mind, who are my safest, closest confidants? that I can go to, the people that I know, this small group that I know, no matter what's happening in my life, I can bear the ugliest parts of myself and I know I'm 100% accepted, completely wholly accepted. Who are the 12, the, maybe the, the slightly larger group that I just love spending time with, we wanna grow together over the course of a long period of time, we're gonna run together and, and they know me pretty stinking well and we're gonna run together. And so I think those are really important concepts. Again, not the precise numbers, but more the concepts. So I want you to take a minute by yourself and just pause and reflect. And maybe you want to write down, who are some of those people in your life? Just take a moment and thank God for them. Again, you might want to write them down, pray for them, but think in your own mind, this is a, a by yourself exercise, who are those people that I consider to be that really close-knit community that I can bear my soul to, that I can kind of do life with, and, and who are those different relationships that I have. So take a moment to do that, and then I'll call us back in just a second. There's so much more that we could explore regarding a devoted community, um, aspects of what that looks like, and um, different angles, but I want to make sure that we spend a little bit of time on the actions of devotion? What does it look like when a loving community is actually engaging in the kinds of activities that demonstrate devotion, right? We've been talking a lot about character qualities and about love and what it looks like internally in our own world, which is really important. But then what does it look like outwardly? Because a devoted church community lays a foundation to love the world well. Like the concept of being devoted to one another, yes, it's about our growth. We want to see that happen. We want to be, have safe places that we can grow. That's incredibly important and foundational, but that's not the end game because that kind of church community is what lays the foundation for us to love the world well. We're going to go back to our Acts passage 
uh, Acts 2, and we're gonna, I'm going to walk us through and kind of pause at the different verses, Acts 2, 42 to 47, and explore this con- concept of what it looks like to lay a foundation to love the world well, and what are some of those actions look like. And so this is what it says in, in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So there's one thing that you see, these are concrete actions, is people are devoted to the teaching They're devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. This is a great concept, right? Breaking bread together to me is this idea of coming together and just just enjoying each other, right? Prayer is where battle is done. It's like where you you dig in together. Uh, The concept of the fellowship of the rings where these diverse group of people from the hobbit to the you know, the elf and all these different uh, people come together and they're very diverse and different but they formed a bond, not because they were the same, but because they were actually going to war together. And that's one of the things that prayer does for us, right? It lets us kind of go to battle uh, together on each other's behalf. Um, and it says, in awe, in 43, it says, an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so you see that as the community is, is together and they're growing, that you'll see signs and wonders that are happening among the apostles. And those who believed together had all things in common. So you're seeing uh, prayer together. You're seeing the breaking of bread together. Uh, you're starting to see uh, signs and wonders happen. These are all outward actions that you see. And then people who believe, they come together and they start to share things in common. What that looks like is they're selling their possessions and 45 and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They're meeting the needs of the community together. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What's the thing that you see mentioned twice in the whole passage? Breaking bread together. Praise God. Um, It's my favorite activity together. Um, They received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So now you're seeing that this activity, all these actions you're seeing the community engage in together, what's the effect What's the outward effect of those things? Is that they have favor, the community begins to have favor with all people, and then at that point, the Lord adds to their number day by day, those who are being saved. It's a really great progression, right? Because when you see a devoted and loving community together, working together, doing the actions of devotion together, then people from the outside world see that, and they're like, that's, that's curious in a good way. I don't see that in other places. That's something that I want to be a part of. And so what I want to do to end tonight before uh, we have some more songs together is I want you to turn and pray for each other uh, in one-on-one or small groups, whoever you're together with. But what I want you to pray for is a couple of things. One is, what's the area that we've explored tonight that maybe that maybe you need to grow in? You won't know that about the other person that you're praying for, but just ask the Lord to say, what should I pray for for that person specifically we've talked about tonight? And then I want you to pray for the other person to have courage to engage in community. Because I'll be honest, this sounds really easy to talk about, but it's not that easy. It's really hard. It's hard to find people that you can be vulnerable with and you can be honest and real with about the areas of your life that you're maybe struggling and aren't quite there yet in. And also sometimes it's really hard if you're Maybe you're depressed, maybe you're really busy to find time to engage in the actions of community that we just talked about. But it's a really important part of being part of the community. It's where you get to know other people and where 
when we do those things that the outside, outside world sees us together as a body of believers. And so I want you to pray for each other. Um, pray for that person for something specific that the Holy Spirit brings to mind. And then I also want you to pray for courage to engage in community. And then we'll sing some more songs together.